2: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombuscom slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Morag, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
2: How do I make my difference? I'm doing it in two ways. I'm looking inward and learning to be comfortable in who I am and what I bring versus the stories I was told about what I should be and should bring. So that's the first thing. I'm doing the work on me. And the second is the outward focus. I want to help you thrive. I want to help you to succeed. We get one life. Make it your life and the best version of you and your life it can be. And if I do the same together, we're going to have a heck of a fun ride.
1: How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Morag. And as you can tell, she's very, very mission driven. Today's episode is about a concept not everybody agrees with. Should you be friends with people you work with or much better stated, can you be friends with people you work with? In this episode, Morag shares five pillars of her framework, which she has worked with with two of her colleagues and best friends. And in her pillars, she discusses why she believes it is possible to actually be friends with people you work with. Regardless of where you stand on this idea, there are so many pieces of valuable information that are being shared here in order to create that environment for you to bring as much of yourself as you feel like you need to in the workplace. And then if you're on the leadership side to ensure that you cultivate an environment that is actually creating safe spaces for people to come as they want to come. So enjoy the episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes. There are multiple pieces of uh, valuable information from the uh, amazing morag as you find out and please uh, as i said in the close of this episode share with as many people as you can and for engagement please leave reviews five stars however you want to rate the podcast but interacting with the podcast does wonders for us in the charts so thank you so much for being a loyal listener and enjoy the episode Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomad, and I'm with someone today that has been described as a rare combination of absolute candor, business acumen, and boundless concern for others' success. Yes, her name. If you haven't guessed by now, because you should have guessed, is Morag Barrett. Morag helps leaders achieve outstanding results through the power of their professional relationships. She's an in-demand keynote speaker, executive coach, leadership expert, and best-selling author of three books, Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships, The Future-Proof Workplace, and You, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work, and How You Can Show Up as One she excels at helping leaders and organizations see the gaps in their development and discover new ways to move past them we're going to be navigating the themes in all her books as well as her personal journey welcome to the show Morag.
2: <laughs> hi taya i'm so excited for our conversation
1: <laughs> well hey if someone might have picked up might have picked up on your accent there and said is that scottish
2: Well, yeah, see, I would love to be able to do my best Sean Connery accent at the moment, but, or something from Outlander. I'm actually English. It's complicated but the name.
1: We we do complicated here. So please. Oh, well, there you go. So I'm
2: Morag (laughs) McLeod by birth, hence Mm -hmm. Sky Team, because the clan McLeod comes from the Isle of Skye. However, the immortal gene is my cousins, not me, because there can only be one. And that may have gone over some of your audience's heads, but there are other people going nicely done. I get it.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So you you you're English. You have a Scottish <laughs> name.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: And you you're definitely dropping inside jokes that people are are going to get. So what, what was your childhood like? Because did you grow up, you know, in the entire United Kingdom, or were you navigating your? You know, childhood. No, parts. no,
2: it was the safe average middle class upbringing in countryside u k. Mm. And I can remember, you know, my parents, you'd go out and play and you'd go on your bike and I'd be cycling around the lanes or in the village that I grew up in and climbing trees. I remember falling out of one and the the cut on the back of my leg from the barbed wire, but falling into a bed of stinging nettles, Oof. which you don't have. I now live in Colorado. We don't have them here, but I remember landing and they sting and they give you hives that are really itchy and then thinking, but I can't move. I was about seven because if I move to get up, then they're going to keep stinging me. I'm going to get even worse. And all of my back, because it was the summer, but there you go. I got into mischief. That's what I did growing up in England. And I now live in Colorado.
1: I love asking these questions because I'm a firm believer in the fact that there are clues in our childhood that lead to what we do eventually, if it's in alignment with our passions. Mm. Currently, you're the co-founder of Sky Team, right? And you're a sought-after executive, keynote speaker, leadership expert. But I imagine that curiosity you just expressed (laughs) from your childhood has has led you down this path of, of navigating why there are such gaps in professional relationships, right? I'll just share an adage I often hear. You know, my parents would tell me this and friends would tell me this as well. The people at work are not your friends. Always be careful. They don't have your back, right? These are things that a lot of people go into the workplace thinking and believing, even though we spend significantly most of our, our time in in on this earth in some sort of work environment. So I'm curious, since you believe that we can develop workplace relationships, what do you think about these adages? when you hear people say that?
2: Well, I'll be honest. I believed it too. Mm. But think about it. It's the daftest idea ever. And the politics silos, turf wars that we experience at work, the internal fighting that happens, the I'm going to win to beat you, Mm -hmm. undermines everything that you and your organization are trying to achieve. And so what if, We could turn that around. And when I use the word friendship, um, it's a riff on Gallup who've been looking at engagement for more than 20 years. And they have this question, um, do I have a best friend at work? Right. And it gets the most pushback. They talk about it consistently. Leaders will say, oh, well, can we do the other um, 11 questions and leave that one out? But there is a direct correlation to, do I have a friend at work? And our engagement, our happiness, our health, and our success. So in You, Me, We, we turned it around. Why? Because do I have a best friend at work? It actually pushes my buttons because I can sit back and go, well, no, because Tayo got the promotion. Tayo gets the best projects. And so the question we're asking in order to have a friend at work, you need to be one. And that's the starting point for this conversation because if you and I can work successfully together, be better together, think what we could achieve and everybody else in the organization will work on those relationships in due course.
1: I mean, look, I think it's, it's a fascinating thing. And I'm, I'm imagining people in the audience right now, still pushing back. Right. So what I want to do is give them some context. You wrote this book with two of your best friends. Is that correct? Mm-hmm, correct. My add.
2: colleagues at work, my best yes. friends at work, Eric Spencer and Ruby Vesely.
1: Exactly. And you you brought up a point that a lot of people say is the very antithesis of why people shouldn't be friends at work. So maybe someone is trying to be your friend at work. So there's a pretense, but then they get the opportunity and then they supplant you and then they forget who you are. Right. Uh, now you can, we've seen what, uh, wall street, uh, greed is good. All these mm-hmm. type of different types of yep. industries, whether it's finance or whether it's, you know, real estate, you know, to get or sales even, Right. Uh, Always be closing all these things that really have quotas, monetary benefits to that, that end up adding to your performance evaluation. I'm imagining them listening to this and saying, there is no way (laughs) that what you just said is going to apply in my place because it's a doggy dog world. And that's just how it has to be. That's what I want to to see what your response would be like,
2: too. OK, <laughs> whatever, because I've seen it. I've seen it. So we had the opportunity. I'll give you some case studies here. Yeah, we had the opportunity to create a safety leadership program for an oil and gas company. Yes, this is people who are working in the middle of nowhere, literally life and death. If you're not putting your goggles on, not wearing your safety helmets, not doing following the OSHA rules, you are going to lose a limb, potentially lose a life. hmm. And we'd been asked to come in and create this safety leadership program. Now, we don't do OSHA training. We do the how business gets done. It's all about the people and the quality of our relationships. And we did a kind of safe dog-eat-dog hierarchical style outline. And Eric, as he was designing it, actually then, you remember, he tells this story. He was sitting in the coffee shop and he thought, I'm going to take a risk. And he did one based on our research around the quality of our relationships. Of course, And he went in there and you can use whatever stereotypes you like, you know, six foot guys, steel toed boots, plenty of women too. And the key here was that many of the people working on these remote drilling sites were contractors, not W2 employees of this company. So there are little, very few levers you can pull in order to get them to comply with the safety standards. So we deliver this program based on the quality of our relationships. The more I know, like, and trust you, the more likely I'm gonna call you out and say, hey, put your goggles on. Hey, bip your horn before you back out the truck, whatever it might be. That company, we had, we had leaders in tears talking about why safety was so important to them their families at home, the people that would be impacted if they were injured. And so that's the personal impact, because we got to know those stories. We got to understand why it mattered for you. Now I understand you've got the three kids at home or whatever. I'm going to look out for you more. And as a result, 18% reduction in reportable injuries. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: productivity goes up, safety goes up, but lives are saved.
1: Lives are saved. Hey, you know, uh, your name Morag means great in Scottish. I, I think that was a great that was a great way to answer that question. <laughs> okay, there
2: you go. Thank you.
1: <laughs> you're very you're very welcome. It, it, okay, it really comes down to that last word: lives are saved. Now, the way people reflect on how lives are saved, even if they don't have you know, quote unquote, life threatening jobs, I think it's a, it's a great reframe to move into your frameworks. Right in in the book that we're talking about, you me. We. We. Yeah, you, me, we. We talk. You talk about, uh, I believe, five frameworks. The first framework is abundance and generosity. Mm-hmm. And if we're gonna juxtapose lives being saved to that first uh, framework, I'm curious if you could help leaders listen to this podcast understand how they can move away from this idea that it's a pie with limited opportunities mm-hmm. to abundance where generosity isn't seen as weakness, actually. It actually is something that saves the lives of the people in your company.
2: Yeah. And let's be clear, not all of us are working in a life or death industry. I work course, as an executive coach and leadership development. The worst you're going to get is a paper cut. Oh, no, I'm, I'm looking
1: understanding make- I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> the metaphor of it because yeah, I truly totally yeah. believe we spend most of our lives, right? That's right. We spend most of our lives in some workplace environment. And so, you know, some people really shut down a huge part of who they are. And I Absolutely. want that. Absolutely life to be back. Yeah.
2: And if we're not having fun at work, if I don't trust you, then my holding back might mean that I don't give warnings of impending disaster. You don't get my best ideas. There we go. I, I sandbag my contribution to your goals. So that first one of abundance and generosity is important. It's both how I'm hardwired. If you come to me and say, Hey, Morag, I've got a problem with It's also an overplayed strength, because at this point, I've got 100 ideas for you, and I still don't even know what the the, the challenge is that you've got. But my operating system is, how can I help you to navigate whatever challenge that you're experiencing right now so you can achieve better results? But that's great. As an outward focus, yay, it's the foundation of an ally mindset. Mm -hmm. But taken to its extreme, and this is where your listeners might be thinking, yeah, but this isn't for me and I'll still challenge it, is it means I'm saying yes to everybody else, but not focusing on my own needs. So in this being a friend at work, it isn't Pollyanna skipping through the daisies, everything's lovely, let me take you home to meet my mother. It means for this project, for this time together on this team, I have your back because our success is dependent on our ability to call out the elephants in the room, to give our best selves, And let's face it, let's have some fun at work while we're doing it. So abundance and generosity moves from just me and my needs, scarcity, which is what you were asking about and hoarding information, hoarding talent to a more outward focus about being curious about what does success look like for you, Tayo? Here's what it looks like for me. Where do we intersect? And then how do we move forward together respecting both of those perspectives?
1: Yeah, yeah. you and I do similar work, and one of the things that I, I often struggle to get people to understand sometimes, especially leaders of teams that have been in historically toxic environments, is, is really that power of information, right? So information throughout history has been used as some <laughs> sort of mm-hmm. power dynamic, information about what you need to do to get promoted, information about uh, that colleague or that that, and so However, we disseminate that information can also lead to creating an environment of transparency and accountability, actually, that many people often underestimate. Now, I heard you say <laughs> that it's something about information there, and I kept looking at some of the past clients I've had where leaders felt like they will be perceived as weak if they said something or they were afraid of sharing information because they don't want to deal with the blowback. From the way like, oh, yep. we can't prom- we can't promote you this this year, unfortunately, because of such and such. Okay. Yeah. And so they're like, well, I don't know more. I if I do that, I'm going to have mutiny in my hands here. <laughs> so this idea of abundance is, you know, it's tricky. And I, I think like you like you, I'll push back and say you are not giving them enough credit <laughs> to to actually create that environment where you share that and they get used to you being someone that is a leader will
2: always be honest for them yeah and again we're not espousing blind trust of course there there are bad people on this world and so (laughs) you share information based on the what, what you know at the time and past performances but you break the pattern you change cultures you change attitudes By being able to articulate, and here are the guardrails. This is what success means for me. This is what candor looks like. You know, it's a bit of two by four and direct talking when you're talking to Morag, versus when you're working with Ruby, it's more of a velvet glove. Yes. And if we can understand styles and perspectives or saying, well, Taya, when you did this, this is how it made me feel then we now both have a choice. You have a choice to flex or not flex or share the information as to why you need to keep doing it that way. And then I have a choice to work there or not. And of course, if our styles don't meet, ultimately stop banging your head against the proverbial brick wall. Go and find a team or an organization where you can thrive and you don't have to filter. But if we say nothing, we just get stuck in that pity city and despair and frustration of, getting angry at everybody else for who they are. And we need to look at, well, what's our culpable negligence? What can we influence? What do I need to start saying no to?
1: Well, that segues into that second framework of yours, which is about connection and compassion, right? So
2: Mm
1: -hmm. you labored on the point that success has to be defined and understood from the lenses of each employee there's no yeah. one size fits all and then you talked about the styles and in addition to that is there's personality style there's communication style there's even leadership style if effort isn't made to share what those mm-hmm. styles are and even adjust based on things that people need uh you know whether you're an introverted extroverted or, or ambiverted there is a disconnect <laughs> and so yes. Yeah, the connection
2: I agree. So connection, compassion gets curious to who you are as a human being, and your lived experience. And again, do we need to go back to day one and go to infinite depth? No, you can choose how much to reveal. But I know from my own life, I spent a lot of time with the British stiff upper lip filtering the work persona from the home and even there, the real persona. And it was the, I need to show up buttoned up and professional. I've got all of my stuff under control because how can I be an effective coach if you know that I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z? And I talk about this in Cultivate. I talk about it in You, Me, We. I remember coaching a CFO and he'd shared not just his professional challenges, but his personal challenges. And at one point we were in London walking around the block, heading to the pub for a good coaching session. Um, But he said, I know, you know so much about me and yet I know nothing about you. And so my own journey over the last 10 years, 10, 15 years is learning to chill out a bit and bring the full human to work. Not all of it, because some of it really does need to be kept private, but when we get to know you and you get to know me, when you understand my career history, perhaps includes that curiosity from childhood, the fact that I was going to be an engineer and studied physics and applied mathematics, that I spent 15 years in finance and know my way around a spreadsheet. If you only go by my job title and what you know today, all you see is potentially the leadership development, the people person, the misdescribed soft and fluffy person versus all of the logic and business acumen I can bring to. And that's what we're trying to do with connection and compassion is understanding what's happening in your lives today and in the past, So that we can set success in a way that unlocks your potential. And it doesn't mean I have to lower standards. Um, I can still hold you to higher standards, but the how I coach and how we collaborate, where I support you knowing that you will support me on my off days, becomes easier to tap into. I get excited about this because I've seen it transform teams. I've seen it transform brilliant jerks you know those leaders that don't quite get it right into the leaders that everybody wants to work with Mm. that's the power of being the friend at work however you whatever word you use to describe it best boss best colleague friend go to confidant advisor mentor they all fall under that heading
1: I think that's brilliantly said. I do also think there's a bit of a disconnect, though, when generations come. Uh, you know, I know it's always been the case with different generations, but as the Gen Z and even Gen Alpha starts to get into the workforce, there's certain, the word entitled always gets used for the generation younger. But the difference I'm noticing, at least, especially with a lot of Gen Zers right now and even younger millennials, is this demand to not have in an unsafe environment. All right. And that demand. Good. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But that demand I've seen hasn't always been well received because it's perceived as disrespect. And that's not what we did. Right. That's so painful. people then translate yeah. as we had to earn our stripes. And other people are like, no, I want flexibility. I want to work like this. And I I feel like I should earn that and you know it's it's this concept there where I'm 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 listening to- You talk about the second framework, which is about connection and compassion, but I also think there's also that self awareness element that people need to understand the times <laughs> and how each generation is a reflection of that time. And if mental health is a big priority in this generation, as it always should have been, it doesn't yes. mean that because you had mental health being perceived as weakness in your generation, that you have to lead from yeah,
2: walk it off, walk it off. And I agree, I mean, Eric shares uh, his depression. Uh, experience. He lives with depression and how it impacted in his fears when he first shared it with Ruby and I. And his story that he wrote about how we would respond in his head was 180 from what happened when he actually told us. Because for us, it was like, oh, now we understand. But it's interesting because there is a quote and I'm going to corrupt it here. It's something about the youth of today are disrespectful. They disrespect their teachers. They don't stand up when you walk in the room. They eat with their mouths open. It's Aristotle. No. (laughs) uh, Yeah, exactly. So I look at it as the mother of three now men, but three boys. I look at it as it's their job to push our buttons and anything that we as the older generation, as I as the older generation, might find frustrating or disrespectful. Well, culpable negligence because I raised them. But the thing is like the mental health conversation and the mental health crisis that absolutely we should be dealing with. Thank goodness that they ha- and the, the right We're now having that conversation because to brush it under the carpet doesn't make it go away. And I do this with leaders, connection and compassion. I might ask them to share, you know, what emotion are you feeling today or have felt in the last two weeks? And they'll type, you know, I'm seeing it all the time at the moment, stress, anxiety, overwhelm, blah, blah, blah. And it'll take a while to get to fun and happy and joy. Well, when we don't relieve, release those emotions with a pressure valve, all they do is they build up and then potentially explode inappropriately. So thank goodness on the youth of today. Thank goodness on the world today, allowing some of these previously taboo topics to be talked about. Now we need to connect the talking about into doing something about and taking action.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, Yeah. I often share with my listeners that I have a generalized anxiety disorder, but it it was one of those things where I didn't see it any other way where, you you know, once I Mm -hmm. got the diagnosis, it obviously gave me explanations for a lot of my, my, uh, my behavior in terms of overthinking or analyzing or, you know, panic attacks that I've had in the past. Um, But the other thing was I noticed because same similar to you a lot of my work is front-facing there's a perception that Mm -hmm. you don't have (laughs) an issue there's no way you could deal with that and so sometimes one the things i often tell leaders is that if you're suppressing things that you're dealing with you you're actually doing a disservice to people that are following you or watching you because they take on whatever is perceived as opposed to the reality of the situation
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and they they mimic that right because it's yep been paired with that. And so, you know, there, there's a way to, to to lead from that sense. And uh, I guess that segues into your third framework here, which is about courage and vulnerability. What is that about?
2: Uh, well, that's inspired by the fabulous work of Dr. Brené Brown. And you touched Oof. on it earlier with a question of, I w- I won't say this because it's vulnerable and it's going to be used against me. And you don't get courage without vulnerability. And if we're giving warnings of impending disaster or naming the elephant in the room, or accepting, you know, and admitting, hey, I made a mistake, or I'm nervous about delivering this presentation, or I've never led this project before, what would your advice be? Then again, we run the risk of creating the very outcome that we're trying to avoid. But we don't get to courage and vulnerability unless we have the connection and compassion that I feel like you, you potentially do have my back. Maybe still yet to be proved, but I've got to believe that you do. Because then I'm more likely to ask for help or to offer help and take help when it's given.
1: Yeah. It's it's courageous to talk about what you're doing, but also to ask for help. And then the vulnerability to your point can't happen if there isn't an established I, you know, idea of a, a safe space to connect and a safe space for compassion, right? You know, compassion yeah. for you to be able to, uh Look at that that lens, uh, and and understand that it's okay. This person really sees me, and that's the other Mm -hmm. thing, right? We're we're always talking about bringing to your. You didn't say your full self, but as much of yourself as you want to, right? I think I'm going to reframe it that because I've I've started reframing it that way. I want you to have that choice. Bring as much of yourself as you want to work.
2: Love it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just yeah. I just feel like you know sometimes people don't want to bring all of it. So. If you want to have that safe space to bring as much of yourself as you want to work, it goes back to the first thing you said, that if there's a culture of abundance and generosity, you're not going to limit something. But then if there's that culture of connection and compassion, you're going to feel like grace is going to come from there, which is going to then push you to be courageous and and vulnerable, even when you feel outside of your comfort zone.
2: Yes. And so some of this, again, it comes back to the conversation and I can't just do it on my own. I need to also overlay it with, well, what's your definition of courage and vulnerability? And to your point, not going in at level 10 and revealing my darkest uh, secrets and deepest fears, but let's start at a one or two. But let's talk, we talk about psychological safety in the workplace. And again, a great and a very important piece of building high-performing teams and organizations but it's a buzzword unless we can turn it from some abstract thought into, but what does it mean for me? What does psychological safety look and feel like for you? And then how do we create that container and space in this conversation, in this team, in this organization to make it come alive? Yeah. So it's, it's taking informed risk with what I choose to share, but also weighing it up against the informed risk of if I keep this to myself, what do I... What do I lose? What do we lose in terms of understanding or potential ability to deliver results?
1: So so what would be your advice to create those communication channels then for courage and vulnerability within companies?
2: Well, I was just talking to a leader this morning that has a small team and their style has been a little direct and apparently their team members are sitting back a bit. So we taught, I've got my notes here, about um, firstly the career journey. Let's start talking about why everybody chose to be on this team. Then the boss making it clear, here's why I handpicked each of you to be part of this team, so that they can hear that they are valued, that they see in those individuals the skills that they could bring, and then create a conversation around what does it mean to be a high-performing team? What's been our experience? And then How does it feel right now in this team? And what do we individually and collectively need to do? And then what's one thing I can start doing or do differently as the boss? So it happens one conversation at a time and framing it in a way that allows people to lean in and sticky notes are our favorite way, you know, because by the time everybody's on a sticky note or a dot rating, nobody can remember who wrote what. Now it's not Morag saying, well, this sucks. It's the sticky notes say. Or it's ag as the facilitator who's made, you know, opened the door for the team. But once they've seen that they can do it at a level one or two, then they can self-medicate, self-facilitate those conversations going forward. Yeah. So asking the question and listening deeply to the response with curiosity, that's how you start to create the safe space for others to share what's truly on their mind.
1: I think so. And even I I think if in terms of channels, if you can create multiple ways, at least a two way, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just one side. I I think it helps create that safe space to be courageous because if you feel like you're always being told what to do or told how to show up, it, it can create a little bit of an intimidating layer or barrier, if you will, because people feel like there's no chance for them to share their opinions and and the different tools for that. But it can get tricky. Yeah. It can get tricky though in hybrid environments and uh, virtual environments. Oh, for sure.
2: Because I've done it. You know, you do the fake perky on the video for a little while and you hit the red button and you think, thank goodness that's over. And we don't have the same opportunity for, you know, the chance encounters or the, hey, can you just stay back a minute or let's go and get a coffee together so we have to be more thoughtful and even we've had to learn this at sky team we've been virtual and admittedly, all working here in colorado but working from our home offices for 16 years but there's a difference between choosing to do it and having to do it and we had to relearn how we team through the camera and one of the things we've been doing for 10 years now is starting every single staff meeting with something we call ripples and joys. Wow. And it sounds hokey. I thought it was hokey when we started it, but we've been doing this every, every week for 10 years and more. And it's literally a ripple Just share something, a success you've had this week, whether it's with a client, a podcast conversation or something that you you're proud of. And then a joy, anything personal, professional, that has made you happy. So, Tayo, what would your ripple and joy for this week be?
1: Well, I guess the the ripple, unfortunately, is I I, I certainly uh, I just lost my cat.
2: Oh, so, I'm so sorry.
1: Uh, I, I know, I know. I've been dealing with the the aftermath of that, but he he was my buddy. Uh, so, uh, you know, I got his uh his ashes next to me. Uh, but we you know there's a lesson. He gave me some good times. So I'll I'll always remember him. And um, in terms of the joy, I think it's just seeing the support that I have from, you know, friends and even colleagues <laughs> reaching out because, you know, I was one of those people that had Instagram pages and TikTok pages for, <laughs> for him. And so, you know, when he wasn't showing up, it, it was uh, clear that uh, he was loved as well. And so, you know, it, it's sort of twofold, but they're connected there.
2: What's his name or what's his name?
1: Uh, his name was Aramu. Now, Aremu is a mm-hmm. Yoruba word. I'm from Nigeria. It's a Yoruba word for my first male child, which uh, delighted Aww. my mom. Yeah, I know. delighted my Aww.
0: mom.
2: <laughs> but- okay. So that, thank you for sharing. I mean, that is powerful. And if I share a ripple and joy by way of example, mine would be a coaching that leader today and helping him think through his team offsite. And my joy was going to Orange Theory and the gym yesterday. I'm about to Uh, write a blog post on this and achieving an under 12 minute mile. And I've been, Oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. I am an athlete, but here's the thing for those listening and for me and you, we just learned something about each other that we didn't know before in just a couple of minutes. Mm. You do that over time. You can learn what motivates people, what demotivates people, um, what they're working on, what's catching their attention. And it builds trust. So, Take it. Anybody listening, try it. You can call it whatever you like, but ripples and joys. These are the ways that especially even through the camera, you can start building a sense of connection and compassion versus the only time people Zoom me is when they want to check in on what I'm doing. Make a point of Zooming folks just to check in on how they're doing.
1: I agree. I love it no this is you know this is brilliant and, and and i like that it's really applicable right these are things that people can immediately apply uh even amongst your your social groups and it creates an opportunity for candor and the debate.
2: Uh, <laughs> debate yeah which is your fourth framework here so uh, yeah so candor i can do well especially when i'm looking at say the materials we're building for a client program but i tend to come in from It's table stakes. I know it's great, Eric, and we could do this and make it better. And the risk with that is it gets received like I've thrown a candor grenade. You know, you take the pin, you throw it and so on. And your brilliant jerks will throw that candor grenade when they get bored in a meeting and sit back and just watch the like (laughs) ensue. And so this is why they're all double barreled, because there's no point being candid and speaking your truth, even if your intention is to make something better if you're not ready to lean into the debate and the conversation around how do we implement it or not based on your perspective. And we get half truths, we get passive aggressiveness. We see people going, oh yeah, Tayo, brilliant, brilliant, love it. And then they hang up and they go, oh my goodness, can't believe he suggested that offline. Well, if you've got abundance and generosity, a we first mindset, if we've got the connection and compassion, if we've got the courage and vulnerability, then I am going to, in the meeting, say, I'm not, com- I'm not sure about what you want me to do, or I'm not sure that that's going to actually achieve the results you're intending.
1: Yeah, And
2: it stops us making the mistakes that can cost time and undermine our reputations here versus at the water cooler where it's gossip.
1: <laughs> and and nothing undermines a, a workplace culture that more than gossip because it's always a bunch of half truths that don't get chances to be substantiated. However, they have enough power to create opinions about people before mm-hmm. we've met that, and then it, those things are very hard to undo. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and and then in this. We, with the last one, how do you go to that action and accountability? I believe that's the last part of your framework.
2: Yeah. And I'm just going to flick my camera because it seems to have done weird things. There <laughs> you go. Back in focus. So action and accountability, it's the capstone. Why? Because nothing I've shared is rocket science. And I know because my middle son is an aerospace engineer. Proud of my Whoa. moment. Um, but it may as well be Because even Eric, Ruby and I occasionally forget. So action and accountability is taking all of this talk and making it real and holding ourselves accountable for running on the treadmill and turning up and doing the work to get fit. It is holding ourselves accountable for creating the new content that we said that we were going to do and being able to have the conversations to each other that says, hey, if something's come up, do I need to take it back from you? or what support can I give in order to set you up for success? And then we've come full circle because as we learn and grow together, the standards and expectations can expand (laughs) and we continue that learning journey, but we're ultimately better together.
1: Yeah. You know, in a time where we have a lot of culture wars and it's you could debate mm-hmm. it as divisive as it's ever been, or more divisive, or depending on the tools we have. It seems a certain way. That last uh, comment you made, which is something I, I truly believe, it does get seen as hokey, right? Uh, better mm-hmm. together. We're better together. Of course, you feel, like, oh, yeah, of course you believe that. Are you like a hippie? Or what do you mean? We have all these different values. It is interesting, though, that people forget the part you just brought up here. In order for us to be better together, it has to be a system of accountability. And I say this all the time. I think the biggest culture problem we have is that we don't have a culture of accountability entirely. And depending on the privilege and the power dynamics that we have, it just allows certain behaviors to go on without being checked. And when we don't check them, there are so many vines and weeds that grow out of those trees instead of the leaves. So mm-hmm. something to think about. <laughs> just just uh yeah you know this uh, is just refl- you know reflecting out, out here but i agree with you
2: yeah i love, it's easy to point the finger and blame and to downplay both our own contribution but the reality of our own ability to affect change and if we can do it and we have this we have this newfound passion we're we're talking about we want to impl- positively impact a million relationships And they start one at a time. We're on our first date. I hope we have future conversations and I hope our paths will cross in three dimensions as well. But this is how you start. One conversation, one person, one relationship at a time. And if we all did that, our spheres of influence would intersect and we would get to that point sooner. And I realize it's not gonna be easy. And there are a lot of people who are not ready to make that change or willing to make that change. Well, you know what? Good luck to them. But I know that here I can make a difference how I show up for you, for others. And if if those who are ready and willing start to do that, the early adopters, I get goosebumps thinking about what we could do and how we could start to change the story, the behaviors, the environment we're living in.
1: Morag like Barrett, everyone. <laughs> so um we've we I mean this time has flown by. I mean I, I feel like you've given us so much in in the amount of time we've discussed, and I want to give you the opportunity to really just sell what you do, right? Where can people buy your book or books and you know connect with you if they want to work with you on an individual basis or as a company?
2: Well, there you go. So there's the product placement. They are sure. available from all retailers. So if you just Google, that's the advantage of an unusual name, Morag Barrett, and I'm going to turn, turn up. But please, <laughs> yes, order the books. Connect with me on LinkedIn. If you send me a message, I promise it's me that responds, not a bot. It's me. And I would love to help because abundance and generosity is what I do. Right. If you'd like to learn more, then we have an ally mindset profile that goes with you, me, we. And that is at skyteam, S-K-Y-E, team.cloud, forward slash you, me, we. And you can learn all about the work that Eric, Ruby, and I do um, at skyteam, S-K-Y-E, team.com.
1: Perfect. All this will be in the show notes. So we'll make sure to uh, ensure that people are able to connect with you. And, uh, you know, my final question is my mission statement reframed is a question I ask everyone this. So, Morag, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
2: How do I make my difference? I'm doing it in two ways. I'm looking inward and learning to be comfortable in who I am and what I bring versus the stories I was told about what I should be and should bring. So that's the first thing. I'm doing the work on me. And the second is the outward focus. I want to help you thrive. I want to help you to succeed. We get one life. Make it your life and the best version of you and your life it can be. And if I do the same so together, we're going to have a heck of a fun ride.
1: <laughs> well, there you have it. I love that. That's amazing. I'm very, very excited. Uh, but no, seriously, this has been a fun, fun episode. And thank you for just showing up. Uh, fully as you are in this with uh, as much candor
0: Thank <laughs> as, you, Ty.
1: Uh, as you've had. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure, but kings, queens, and royalty. This has been Morag Barrett. Thank you for listening. And I hope you share this episode with as many people as you can. I know everybody knows someone that works in some sort of work environment. So use this episode as a primer for the books that Morag is so effortlessly and painstakingly <laughs> uh, worked with her, her collaborators on on creating. So thank you so much. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.